Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Frank Capello. And I am Rivka Rivera. Rivka, what's up? Happy weekend post-July 4th. How was your holiday? It was good. We hung out. That's right. You and I hung out in real life, which is <laughs> which is always a trip because we see each other so often, but we see each other... Yeah, virtually. For, yeah, but we see each other in real life very seldomly. So when we and do... And we don't... Like, in real life, I feel like we don't because we'll probably have just seen each other we won't often like fully acknowledge each other and then i think people are like are they mad at each other <laughs> yeah we just do like a brief like oh hey, okay. hey. <laughs> and we don't talk for the rest of the time no things are good it's weird that it was like midweek and now it's weekend again and yet i still feel stressed out always that's life under late stage capitalism i'm shooting a short film this weekend which i'm excited about oh hell yeah yeah should be fun with some fun friends and some fun filmmakers um and my niece is in town so a lot is happening a lot is happening for me too it's a very busy time i had a couple of things i wanted to talk to you about just because uh i wanted to get your take on them i'll, I'll start with one that's like a little more a little lighter fare uh have you heard of threads i just saw it this morning and i was like i don't know I was like, people are like, join me on threads. And I was like, I would rather not. I don't know what that is. Anytime someone's like, join me on this new social media app. I'm like, why the fuck would I give another thing any more of my time? But yeah, this this started like a few days ago. But apparently it is uh, Mark Zuckerberg's and Meta's uh, answer to Twitter. It's, you know, trying to fill the vacuum that may soon exist if Twitter does in fact, uh, you know, implode, go down, or just be, you know, not become the main uh, text-based social media app. So it's like billionaire wars? Pretty much, yeah. It's just like, which billionaire do you want to follow? Which which oligarch, uh, which neo-feudal lord do you want to swear fealty to? And it was interesting timing because I think it was just like a week or two ago, Twitter announced that it would now limit the amount of tweets that you can see unless you pay for a verified checkmark. Oh, yeah. Have you not heard about no, this yet? No, I'm not really active on Twitter, which I'm sure. I'm like, which I'm sure you all know. <laughs> you, we've all noticed Rivka's absence from Twitter. I just, the only reason I was on Twitter was then when we were starting this podcast and I had to go back. I shared this with you, Frank, and was just seeing like, tw I was like, I've never had a Twitter. And I found out, in fact, I did once have one in like 2010, 2011. And I was amazed by some of the things. I think there was some of the things I said were just on the level of like pumpkin spice latte, period. <laughs> like, Honestly, that's very good topical comedy right there. No, other worse things there too. I mean, other things that I was like, I don't know this person. Who was this person? Well, this person could get onto threads if you want, because, yeah, Twitter, it seems day by day is just torpedoing their own business model. So, yeah, so Zuck was like, come join us over on threads. You know, we're the new the new spot, uh, the new billionaire owned social media spot. And, yeah, I don't really feel too strongly about it other than like I hate all of them. I think they're all terrible. They're all just harvesting our data and propagating some of the worst uh, algorithms that just feed on our darkest impulses. But you're going to get on threads. No, because I'm not really that active on Twitter. Find me on the threads. I'm not even that active on Twitter. So like, I don't really give a shit. Like, I don't need more. I don't need more. I don't need more social media in my life. Yeah. So. What's the other thing? You said there was something else. Okay, so this is actually even a little bit darker. I went into the other day, for the first time in my life, a Primark which is a store. Have you ever been into a Primark? No, what's that? It's basically like if H&M and Forever 21 and a Walmart all fucked and created like the worst possible version of itself. I mean, a little a little less Walmarty, a little less of like home goods, but like more clothing, but like still with like a, a number oh of like my God. soft goods and stuff like that. My brain just split. There's one, there's like the indoctrinated capitalist consumer brain that's like go immediately what are you doing still in your chair <laughs> and then like the other one that just saw an image of um 
I, th- I don't remember where it was, but it was like a mound. It was talking about fast fashion. It was like a mm. mound of clothing that's just like gathering. There, these things don't go anywhere. So scary. Yeah. If uh, if fast fashion is uh, upsetting or triggering to you, then do, do absolutely do not go into a Primark. It is. Whoa! What? I've never heard of this thing. What is this? Is it in? New there's York? a new one. Yeah, there's a new one at the City Point. How long has it been? around only like a few months it like really just kind of like but primark is a new brand primark the brand i think has been around for several years my partner knew of it she was like oh yeah it's a a primark um i had never been in one and i gotta say it really like depressed the shit out of me like and and i like in a real way where like after i left the store i was like man i I feel badly now um like you said it is a it's a fast fashion place barbie 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 mattel oh my god the brand the brand Mm -hmm. partnerships they had in this place like they had a brand partnership with barbie they had a brand partnership with disney they had a brand partnership they were doing keith herring uh, (laughs) designed items and i was like i don't know a ton about keith herring but i'm pretty sure he would fucking hate this place wow yeah very 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 cheap goods very poorly made all of the employees there just seemed like miserable, like like high level exploitation. And it was just American consumerism, like boiled down to its most raw form. And it really just like upset me, honestly. And 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 look, I'm that is not to knock people who um, by necessity, need to shop at places like this or work at places like this. Like that mm-hmm. is that is understandable. I, it's not a knock against the people who shop yeah. there or the people who, you know, by necessity have to work there. That is not at all what I'm saying. It's just when I am confronted with this level of just like naked consumerism with just such poorly made products, like I was just like rifling through some of the shirts and I was like, these are the same shirt, but they look completely different because they were just made so poorly. And I can see the stitches on the shoulder on this one. And like, made poorly because someone's getting paid 68 cents on the hour and not allowed to use the restroom. And there's literally blood on the, those clothes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, what we learned from uh, having Carla Marie Davis on for our Triangle of Sadness episode, she talked a lot about the fashion industry and the waste and how the fashion industry is one of the biggest polluters on the planet. Um, and that was just like really laid bare from just walking through this store for like 15 minutes. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because like sometimes like it's been happening as I've been coming more, you know, radicalized and farther to the left. The more I go into like these big box stores, even a Target, like I'll walk through Target for too long and I'll be like, God, this place fucking bums me out. So do you have, do you have any experiences like that? Oh, about being, but I mean, like I said, I literally have the two mind, like, because I'm just thinking about how indoctrinated we are, how like my favorite fucking shows as a kid were like going in the shopping spree shows, throw as much stuff as you can into a cart. Like the psychology of that is so profound. And like, it's just, there is that part of you that's like, illusion is bliss. Like, I don't need to know where it goes who's making it. Let me keep me as separated from it as possible. But it's, yeah, no, I'm with you. I I do think, you know, people are like, don't ruin it for me. I I think it's important to ruin this for everyone, including me, because it's so strong. And you Mm -hmm. can, it's like watching, you know, it's like when people are like, I don't want to watch documentaries about like how my meat gets to me. Well then, sure. like watch them in a year. I don't know. There's like, there's a lot of all the different things. It's just like, but being like, it ruins it for me to know. Don't tell me is fucking ridiculous. Like we should ruin fast fashion yeah. for me too. Like I'm a fucking fast fashion addict. I really, really try not to anymore. It's really hard. Like there's a like addiction to just the newness of some kind of fucking trend or clothes that's like in at the moment. And like, you can get it and dispose of it and you don't have to spend $500 on a single piece of clothing that you have Mm -hmm. to commit to or whatever but there are so many options and so many activists doing work on those alternatives and i'll fuck up a target you know what i mean i'm not like acting like i'm above it i just think it's good for it to it's good for it to not be i want things to ruin it it's like once you know you know like i want that to be ruined i don't want to do that oh absolutely and that is not to say like you know we've talked about it on this show before but like being anti-capitalist doesn't mean that you're anti-buying things or that you're like anti-goods and services. It's like I, there are things in my life that I enjoy spending my money on. There are products that I like to buy. Uh, there are stores yeah. that I like to patronize. Do I take 
issue with how all of our economy is inherently built on commodification and exploitation? Yes, of course. But like, that's part of the contradiction. That's part of the contradiction of living in this world. People don't like contradiction. People don't like contradiction. And it's like- Like uh, Cocktails and Capitalism, I remember they also posted something today about how Beyonce's um, Blue Ivy, is that the name of her clothing brand? Mm -hmm. They use- uh, Surprise, surprise. They use um, sweatshop labor. Sweatshop labor. I was going to say slave labor, which basically is yep. 68 cents on the hour. But then it's like that is, but then sh- it's like queen feminine, you know, who queen runs Bay. the world, queen Bay, like, yeah. and no, but people don't want to look at that contradiction at all. People get mad, mad at you if you bring that up. No, there's a lot of uh, compartmentalizing happening these days. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's important to call it out. And hey, you're like, I recognize this contradiction. I understand that this is a moral and ethical choice that I'm making. And I have, you know, reconciled that with myself and fucking go off, you know, do your thing. But the the whole like, I don't want to think about it. That's that's not we're not here for that. All right. Well, we should get to our conversation today. This is a very interesting one um about speaking of contradictions speaking of fucking contradictions dude where's my car uh but before we get to it just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us we perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen and as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values we will not be selling ads on this show we rely completely on community support to keep the show going so if you're able to support us please consider subscribing to our patreon for just five dollars a month you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes and you'll be directly supporting this show You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. All right, we are going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about Dude, Where's My Car? with Devin Young. So we have Devin Young with us today. Devin is the founder and director of Little Secret, a DIY performance venue in L.A. that brings together activists like Chris Smalls, ALU president, Stephen Donziger, L.A. Tenants Union, the Debt Collective and more, brings them together on lineups with L.A.'s most beloved musicians and comics. So welcome, Devin. We're so happy to have you. Oh, my God. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh Devin, so I learned about you and the work you're doing, I think through Instagram. I think I just, you know, I I follow enough leftists at this point in my life that I think I just started getting posts from Little Secret, which is this uh, event space that you run in LA. And I should also say, I lived in LA for 11 years. Rivka also lived there. We're both in New York now, but really bummed that uh, this space, it seems like the space spun up right after I left. So, you know, really poor timing on your part. But other than that, <laughs> it looks like the events you put on, it like mixes performance with like actual organizing and you, you know, focus a lot of these, uh, these, these groups that are trying to, you know, organize on their own. So tell us a little bit about Little Secret, what, how it started uh, and yeah, what you've been working on over there. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. Um, so yeah, performance venue in Hollywood right now. Um, and exactly like you said, the work is to platform uh, community organizers, activists, um, mostly local to LA. But like like you've said, we've also had Chris Smalls in, we've had Steven Donziger, we've had Marianne Williamson. Um, so some fairly high profile guests and activists as well. Um, and really seeking to sort of marry that work with um, like good lineups of artists, musicians, comics. That's awesome. Devin, was that the initial idea? Like, did the idea for that kind of space come first or were you working in this space and then this and and it transformed into this? I have an ex- like my background is in psychotherapy. So I've been working with, you know, I've been doing community work in sort of various ways for years and years and then started to work more and more in DIY venues. But I wasn't seeing really any venue do whether to like be like DIY or like establish like, you know, big box venue um, do any sort of work platforming community organizers in the way that I thought that they could and and should be. So eventually I was like, well, I just want to start my own space where that's the whole goal and that's the sort of the formula. And so, yeah, 
And I do want to say, uh, every, all of the photos of all the events that I see at Little Secret look like fun as hell and like really disprove the notion that like the radical left is just like <laughs> can't have fun and like can't be funny anymore. Like it's like a real celebration of values and uh, while also just being like a fun, looks like a fun thing to go to. So I'm excited the next time I come to LA, really excited to catch a catch a show or be at an event there so yeah thank you for saying that and you guys will definitely have to roll through um yeah that's the goal i mean i think 100 um i'm on the same page i think that the left has had a bit of an image issue i mean i don't, I don't think that's like an original opinion but there's um <laughs> and we often don't know how to throw a good party um and you know like i'll um I'll go, and not to like throw anybody under the bus here, but like I'll go to like different like DSA events and not just in LA, but in New York, I've been, you know, and I have many friends in DSA and I'm a DSA dues paying member. So again, not throwing DSA under the bus in any way here, but a lot of the parties that I've been to are not party, you know, they're like not parties <laughs> that are going to, they're not parties that are going to attract anybody who's not already mm -hmm. deeply involved in this work, which I think is a real yeah. issue because we need you know, to have events that bring people together and bring people together for fundraising that are reaching people who, yeah, aren't already dues-paying DSA members. And if you're um, hosting an event at the uh, Jewish Convention Center auditorium and the lighting is bad and the lineup is like, eh, okay, and, uh, you know, there's like, I don't know. I just think there's a lot to do um, with the... <laughs> There's a lot of space to grow in um, creating events that people want to go to that are fun on the left. I think that makes so much sense. And like how we gather and there's like the vibe is crucial. And so and we talk about that a lot in terms of even why we wanted to do this podcast, opening up like using pop culture and media as a way in and broadening sort of the conversation as a way into these different topics so i hear you i'm excited to visit when we're in la yeah but we should get to this our conversation about the <laughs> the movie you chose for us to watch so uh surprising me the most i think you chose uh dude where's my car for us <laughs> to watch uh directed by danny liner written by philip stark Released in 2000, starring Ashton Kutcher, Sean William Scott, Jennifer Garner, and Marla Sokoloff. Produced on a budget of around $13 million and grossed over $73 million worldwide. Uh, this is the story of two stoner friends, Jesse and Chester, who wake up after a night of partying with no memory of their previous night. They realize they've lost Jesse's car and embark on a bizarre adventure to find it, encountering a series of increasingly surreal and comedic situations along the way. It's a really nice way of putting it, I'd say. Like <laughs> Comedic, potentially offensive, we'll get into it. But just some context for the year of Y2K, the new millennium, 2000, in case you don't remember or you weren't alive. Uh, this is the year the U.S. Supreme Court rules to end the vote recount in Florida in the Bush versus Gore case, giving the presidency to George W. Bush after a prolonged legal battle. Jesus. AOL, <laughs> good times. AOL just uh, bought Time Warner for $165 billion, reflecting the growth in internet usage and making it one of the largest media companies in the country. Yikes. Tiger Woods becomes the youngest player to win a Grand Slam in golf. And Breathe by Faith Hill tops the U.S. charts as the most popular song. I think that was, I totally like, yeah, that was a shocking one for me. Uh, there's a rise in mad cow disease alarming 10 european countries oh shit i remember that that yeah yeah that was like i remember that too that was like a very scary thing for like no no real reason for me as a child there's <laughs> like, a real no mad cow <laughs> mad cow panic happening all over the country <laughs> and um of course ridley scott's gladiator was released and would eventually go on to win the academy award for best picture so these are some some things that put us right directly in the year 2000 and of course this is right before uh, 9-11. So we're sort of in that year before end of an era. So Devin, the first thing we start the conversation with, uh, we ask our guest, and I i don't think I've ever asked this question this earnestly, but why <laughs> did you choose this movie for us to watch? 
Oh, and the shortest answer is I, I love this movie. I think this movie rocks. I think it's a, a gem, and I'm going to make an argument for why I think it's a secretly uh, anti-capitalist movie. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to pick something that I thought was a little more abstract and less on the nose, uh, which is certainly this film. Um, I am a big fan of early 2000s movies. I actually uh, don't think that there are any good movies before the I'll say the early 90s and I don't think there are any good movies after let's say 2010 other than like Parasite and Jackass yes hot takes coming in I love it scorching hot that's okay wow all right (laughs) so I'm obviously gonna pick something from that era um and yeah I'm a huge fan of trash culture and low culture um especially given where I come from which I can give you a little background on but those are those are my those are my big four. When you had pitched this to me in email, you mentioned something. Someone had written about the concept of what, what What did you call it? Like white male amnesia. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Like, because that, that was something that really latched on to me where I was like, oh, okay, I think I can... I think I could get behind this choice. Yeah, totally. I'll jump right into my thesis, which is a thesis shared by queer theorist Jack Halberstam, um, which is, um, and I don't want to, you know, butcher their thesis. I'll, I'll do my own take on it. But um, essentially, you know, the device of this film is amnesia. The boys are, you know, they can't remember what happened the, the last day. They are throughout the movie, um, essentially learning and unlearning and forgetting Every, you know, every, basically every piece of knowledge, every piece of condition or socialized knowledge that they held previously. And so I think my, like, my argument for why this is an anti-capitalist movie is that I think that that process of forgetting and unknowing hegemonic thought, hegemonic uh, institutions and heteronormative thinking and, and knowledge is what makes someone open to being an anti-capitalist and what makes someone ultimately a good anti-capitalist. Ooh, okay. Wow. Rivka, what was Ooh. your... Oh, go yeah. ahead. No, I know, I know what you're going to ask me, Frank. And I'm just, after hearing what Devin just said, I was having that like moment of like going through the film, like, whoa, totally different way. Like, I actually can't believe I'm going to say I have to rewatch Dude, Where's My Car again. <laughs> Um, but I was, but like, yeah, wow. I'm fascinated by that thesis. My big picture, like rewatch, because I have truly have not seen this since I was a child. And I, and I do think this was like a seminal, I remember this culturally for me being like a seminal, (laughs) I guess I will use that word, a seminal film, but I don't know why, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. why it's like that it's like a feeling right because i think it was like uh, movies like this defined so much of like the culture of being like a young millennial and just yeah so it was i was really excited in rewatching because it was like a litter i want a note i wrote was like make session with therapist after this movie after viewing (laughs) (laughs) lots of unpacking to do (laughs) about life experiences but i think mainly it was it felt like getting on like a a Disney ride or something like those ones where you go through like it's a small world after all or something and like seeing this these different tropes and things that like I was like oh I forgot about like that racist joke that everybody would repeat endlessly in middle school and then I forgot about like that homophobic thing that people would endlessly repeat and just like just these tropes that were like consistently just like in the fabric of how we grew up. So for that reason, I think it's really important that if you are of this generation, you rewatch these movies because learned a lot. And um, particularly, I think the transphobia stood out particularly in this instant. Although I can also imagine again, Devin, after hearing you watching it in a different way, but like the transphobia of like the jokes in this just like hit so different now of just recognizing like just, the amount of real world harm that I imagine the effect of like watching this film in a certain way and laughing at these jokes in a certain way, just like that was devastating thinking about like the amount of real world harm that this movie probably had um, some relationship to. So there was a lot there, but uh, yeah, that was sort of my, my journey. This was a real, like, you, you know, when you see something and just like images and memories, just like, come pouring out of the recesses of your mind. That's what watching this movie was to me. I was 
So I must have been, I was 12 when it came out in theaters. So I was 13 by the time it hit, like, you know, home video. And this was like every sleepover, the boys are watching, dude, where's my car? This movie oh, no. had, had everything, everything that we wanted. Uh, <laughs> and it's a real, it's a real snapshot of that time. And I mean, my big, my big, my big takeaway from rewatching it at this point in my life, I wrote down one: Is this the most offensive movie ever made? Which I don't, I don't know if there, like, I couldn't think of something else where I was like, I don't know if there's another film that has as much shit in it where I'm like, that's that's so not okay, <laughs> um, and that this is this this movie's like really feels like the apex of white male privilege and mediocrity because like the movie like it's it seeps with mediocrity from like top to bottom from like the writing to the direction to the performances um and it really feels like I, this could never be made today nor should it and but it's like it's very 2001 for for that reason and Devin, i find it interesting that you you brought up this thesis in that like you know this this sort of amnesia that jesse and chester are suffering from and sort of like this you know, it could be portrayed as open-mindedness and that they are learning and relearning things along the way. But the one thing that really stuck out to me is that these guys are like purely sex motivated. Like that is the entire impetus for them having this journey is the the hope that their girlfriends will sleep with them at the end. Yeah, it was just really, I was, I was blown away the whole time. I just was, <laughs> I, my mouth was on the floor. I was just like, I can't believe that all of this stuff is happening. In it. And just to like paint a little bit of a picture for the listener, it's just like, this movie's pretty jam-packed with, you know, homophobic jokes, transphobic jokes, ableist jokes, a ton of racist misogyny, jokes. racist yeah. jokes, misogyny, sexism. Uh, Andy Dick is in this movie. Like, <laughs> um, so it's it's it was so it was really it was really shocking on a rewatch. So yeah, I'm curious, Devin, like when you watch it now. Because you said you like like you love this movie, you love trash culture, and like I appreciated it for that. But when you watch it now, like how do you, I don't know, sort of reconcile those thoughts and feelings? Yeah, I guess I first of all distinguish between what I think the director was trying to accomplish versus what I experience and what other people might experience from the film because I, I at the end of the day I don't yeah I don't think that the director was trying to make an anti-capitalist film here I think that <laughs> the director was absolutely trying to uh, make transphobic jokes um, homophobic jokes racist jokes like I think that they just genuinely thought that was funny um, my takeaway is that these characters are not Jesse and Chester the main characters are not in any way portrayed as competent so when I experience Experience them making these jokes, especially at the beginning. To me, it's like, well, we're not supposed to trust them as reliable or competent men because they're clearly fucking morons. <laughs> and so when they have, like, when they're um, like shocked to find out that the person that they had the lap dance with the previous night before is um, like transsexual, it's all like, yeah, because they're fucking morons. But the thing that I would um, say is special about these boys and why I think they're actually sort of heroes is that, again, they are learning throughout the film. So you see this evolution of like, first they're surprised, um, but then, you know, there's one point in the movie where the um, the trans woman and her partner are making out and they're, they're starting to be like, oh, like, should I be turned on? Like, there's like this questioning of like, should I be turned on by this? And then by the end of it, they're like buddies, like, like they're, they're saving the world together. Like they're all pals. Um, so That's I think true. there's, yeah, there's like this evolution. Um, and the, the same thing for the, the homophobia of the movie. Um, there's this incredible scene. Uh, of course, with Fabio, who I forgot was in this movie. Such a joy to see Fabio. Anytime, anytime Fabio shows up as a in a cameo, I'm like, I'm like, oh, baby, it's 1998. The sexiest <laughs> man in the world is here. This is a total aside, but I actually went on a date with Fabio a couple years ago, and so seeing him in this movie was, <laughs> which is this whole other, it's a whole other um, little story in that uh, anti-capitalism uh, but uh <laughs> a, a tangent we may need to take if you're willing yeah ask me ama yeah however much you're willing to disclose <laughs> I mean, this is this is the forum for it so truly um we met at a halloween party and my it was like some like billionaires like 
like weed billionaire CEO guy, some his like Halloween party. So it was like mostly filled with like, you know, awful people. Like, um, <laughs> but I went with my best friend. We were having our own little like buddy comedy of an evening. And uh, we, she was like, I, I'm really bad at like recognizing faces and famous people. But she was like, oh, I think that's like Fabio over there. So of course, like we were like, well, we have to like find an excuse to talk to him. So we, uh, <laughs> everyone's wearing costumes. So we go up to him, he's wearing like a football jersey. And I'm like, oh, what's your costume? It's <laughs> and he's like, uh, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> 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 Which leads to like uh, we like end up in a conversation with Fabio for like the, like two hours in the party. He's like um, this says a lot for the party that he was like the most compelling conversationalist it, uh, <laughs> in the in the room. But uh, <laughs> he um, ended up following up and asking me out to dinner, uh, which was very funny. He. Um, he ins like he doesn't like I'm I'm sure you guys are aware or you could probably have guessed he has um extremely terrible politics. Yeah, my hopes weren't very high. Yeah, you would probably guess but he's he's pretty out he's particularly out there. He's like um you know going on Fox Network and like talking and doing interviews and talking about like why California is like this um like state of ruin and debauchery because of like unhoused people and shit. So he's like an like awful awful dude but i thought it'd be funny to go on the date with him um so, so he like he does it's very dude where's my car <laughs> we we love a journey he doesn't believe in gps i think you know something about the tracking so he was like over i mean i i, I can get on board with that one maybe a little sure bit. Like, yeah yeah there's some like horseshoe theory stuff happening right <laughs> mm -hmm. he like uh <laughs> he uh so he's like over an hour late he picks me up in this like fancy Porsche. He spends the first 20 minutes of our drive, our very long drive, because again, he's not using GPS and he's like doing that man thing where he thinks that he knows how to get places and he doesn't know. So, so it's like this whole night is like, yeah, yeah, very much dude, where's my car journey? And that the whole thing is like taking like way too long. <laughs> um, but he spends the first 20 minutes of the day um, just complaining to me about like a bad customer experience. Uh, that he had with like his on the phone with his bank. That could have been a radicalizing moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the question is, Devin, did you radicalize Fabio? <laughs> I mean, I'm curious to see where you guys would have stepped in and radicalized him at that point. I was trying to um, <laughs> sympathize and be like, oh yeah, 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 you know, like it's you know, it's rough. We've all been there, but you know, it's like you can only feel so bad for someone. It's like. I'm, I'm not going to show the tear over like you have an obscene amount of money that you're probably trying to move around and occasionally it's a little inconvenient for you to do so. Sure. <laughs> well, God bless you for seeing that bit all the way to the end uh, and by, by actually going on a date with Fabio. That's amazing. That's I that hope that's amazing. like on all of your I like want to steal it for when people are like, tell me a fun fact about you. Like, that's really good. But you were, I, I forget how we got on that tangent. You were saying like. Because Fabio's in the movie. Because <laughs> Fabio was in the movie. That's so right. right, he's in the movie. I did not realize this when I picked it. Um, but yeah, we have the the Fabio cameo. And um, in the scene, you know, Fabio, is, he pulls up in the convertible or whatever car. I don't, I don't know cars. Um, but he pulls up in the fancy car and he's got his girl. And he like, it, this is immediately like this like competition between the boys of like one upping each other. And so like Fabio grabs the girl and they start um, like they immediately start making out. Right. And then the boys one up them by like also like making out, which like I think the scene is done honestly really beautifully in that there's no like I think in any other early 2000s movie there would have been some element of like they make out and then they're like oh discuss you know it's so gross but they like the kiss seems like it's hot like it's like it's like it's it's a hot kiss yes and Devin I actually have that noted in my notes I was like this is so hot how we miss this mo like and also just I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt your point but I'm no. very excited by this kiss moment but the Fabio kiss with the girl, I remember also having I had to rewind because they don't even open their mouth. Like, it's so weird. It was like a very weird like they're like doing this kind of. Well, OK, this is audio medium, but I'm closing my <laughs> lips and mashing them against my hand. They're it's a doing, bad kiss. It's a bad kiss. And then and then the boys do a really like 
there's tongue. It's like hot. It's good. It's like they're really kissing and Fabio and the girl are not. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very sexy kiss. There's no hint of remorse after the end. The scene just moves on. Um, and I was actually reading somewhere. There was this um, queer activist who wrote, I forget which paper, but he wrote, like, I think that KISS did more to advance, like, queer rights than, like, gay activism in the last 20 years. That's so interesting, because I also noted after that, the one thing that, like, I felt like it could have been that, and then I was so upset because the reaction from the woman and Fabio is they are disgusted, actively disgusted, and I think she makes a, I think she says, like, disgusting or something, which, to me, ruined that moment. That was upsetting because I was like, oh, this is the homophobic lens here and they're telling us how to react. Although it's interesting from your thesis because I am with you, Devin, and I'm like very curious about this turnaround on this film. The the boys don't. They're not. They not discussed. They're sort of still like that was fine, you know. So I, I'm with it on there. But there was that reaction from them, which I found really upsetting. Yeah, I am. I can understand. I, I'm I'm understanding this thesis now more that you've highlighted that moment because it's almost like the boys are like pure id and they don't have any preconceived notions. They don't have any judgments. Although they do, they do use the f word uh, like several times in the movie. So like they do whatever. do we'll that. They do we that. just take this moment, this kiss as a as like as, as <laughs> yeah. its own isolated thing. It, you're you're right. There is no. They they don't come at it from any sense of judgment, and there is. I guess something really beautiful about their heterosexual male friendship. It is like very, it's a very intimate male friendship. With, and there's, you know, like there's not, I feel like a lot of movies at this time that were geared towards young men only showed guys like being tough with each other and like, any, you know, like making fun of each other and, you know, slapping each other in the nuts. But this is really like Jesse and Chester are like, they're very close a lot of the time. They're like, uh, scantily clothed a lot of the time together <laughs> and don't seem to feel any discomfort around it. Um, so yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm coming, I'm getting on board with yeah. this, this thesis. Tell us a little more. Bit more. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome on board. I'm glad it's working. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think this movie really counters this hegemonic uh, model of masculinity for exactly the reasons that you just said. I mean, so hegemonic, masculinity teaches us that men should be very hetero, very stoic, and like Jesse and Chester are like not these things. Like, you know, they're ostensibly hetero, yet, you know, they like have an like a suspicious amount of like no sex throughout this movie, like no heterosex uh, throughout this movie. Um, <laughs> their relationship is pretty, um, pretty homoerotic. And uh, they're in, in no way stoic. And you see them throughout the movie, like battling these more, like, I would say the more like hegemonically masculine men in the film, the jocks and the Fabios of this world. Um, so I, I see this as like a, a super queer movie and that these are sort of, um, you know, at the end of the day, these men, um, Chester and Jesse are, of course, conditioned in the way that like we all are and, and that, you know, white straight men are. Um, so they have the same, they come in with the same faults of, of yeah, like being um, homophobic and, and transphobic and, and racist and all these things. But the thing that's special about them is throughout the movie, you see this evolution. And, and again, it's through the device of amnesia and the forgetting and the, the having to learn that I think kind of opens them up and, and actually makes their politics at, at least the best in the movie, um, if not <laughs> admirable more universally. I love this take. Okay. Okay. The one... I'm getting on board with everything you're saying and I and I love I love having these conversations for this exact reason cuz I really came into this being like like I was ready to talk about this movie as like an offensive relic to be like this is something we should never do and that's why it's important to talk about but I love getting to like hear these new perspectives and yeah just kind of like having having my perception changed um, although I do have to say, like this movie really gives stoners a bad look. Uh, <laughs> like it really, they're like they're so inept because of how like just blitzed they are all the time. And look, I smoke weed, and like that's not like I'm a very functional person. So I just want to like put that out there. Like hashtag not all stoners. Like we're like well, we're people is, too. This is interesting that you're bringing up Frank because along the lines, then maybe if we're going with this like movie having more, or we're gonna choose to see it with having more than 
than was initially there. Like they say they're stoners, but yet like they never smoke the whole movie. I'd imagine for a PG-13 rating. But the dog smokes weed. There is weed. They just never like I don't I don't think the 2000s they give a fuck about the PG-13 like. I feel like I've seen many movies with like lots of crazier and they're like kids can absolutely watch this but like they never smoke and then I was even suspicious of like so I don't know I'm I'm curious about these characters as also like saying we do these things and not necessarily being the things that they say they do they also like talk about drinking a lot the night before so it's like I'm like I know they everyone calls them a stoner but like it is interesting that like just like they never seem to have any sex they don't ever smoke any weed so I don't know maybe I'm reading to something more than is there I I also think this is I'm also glad Devin that you're bringing this up because it's important to be able to hold I I, I'm curious for you like it seems to be that you don't think that obviously the writers intended any of this theory as they were necessarily making it but it feels like through this theory it's a way of being able to reclaim certain things like we have the conversation all the time I think people get really I've experienced that people get really defensive or angry if you criticize a movie like this because they may hold it so dearly and like any criticism feels like that means you can't ever relate or, you know, watch it again. But I think what's interesting about these this thesis and and reclaiming it by seeing something new in it and maybe giving it a new construct means that you can, but but it's okay to look at it critically and you can maybe see new things in it that weren't intended and therefore both can be true, which I think is really important. Like it can be equally this horrifically transphobic, misogynistic, shitty thing. And also <laughs> something that maybe has like important meaning to a queer experience. Yeah, 100%. I think you articulated what I was trying to say 10 times better than how I was saying it. Can I jump in actually with a just since I don't want us to not get this in. And I feel like we can go in many different directions with this movie because it's so great. The first initial thought I had was like, where was the last time that I I was like, the last time I thought of Dude, Where's My Car was, um, I think this was like 2021. I don't know if you remember this, Devin. I asked Frank. Frank had never heard this, so I'm excited to play it. But Ingram, what's her face? Laura Ingram. Laura Laura Ingram um, had a Dude, Where's My Car moment on live TV. And it was one of my favorite. It was just a great, a great moment so let's play it and then tell me what what moment this reminds you of in the movie i was watching an episode of uh you where measles came up wait 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 when did i mention measles i don't know it was on you wait what 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 was on me? What are you talking about right what is right me hearing what i'm saying i never had the measles was on you we never did a we never did a measles and vaccine episode. Am I, is this a joke? I, know. I don't even know it what you're w- talking about. It was on you. It was on you. I've never had, Raymond, I've never had measles. What are you talking about? This is stupid. It was an episode <laughs> of a show, Laura. What's it called? You. What is you. It's called you. I've never done a show on measles. I, I just completely give up. We got to get it. It's on. a show I, I give up. called you on Netflix. There's a show called Loring on Netflix. Wow. It's one of my favorite things. That's so incredible. Near the end there, I was like, is this scripted? But either, either way, that was that No, was it still... was not. You can when you not. watch it, watch it then with the video, <laughs> it's not. Truly, okay. she is like getting angry, just like in this clip. Just for people who haven't rewatched this movie in a while, watch you roll the clip. Dude, you got a tattoo. <laughs> so what did you do? No. <laughs> Oh, dude, what does my tattoo say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! What about mine? Dude, what does mine say? Sweet! Honestly, it's a great bit. It holds up. It's fucking funny. Those two guys, great delivery. I do got to say, I love Sean William Scott. I'm a huge. I I, I bought Sean William Stock Scott stock. Jesus, uh, a long time ago, and I've I've loved his career. And it was great getting to see him again in this as a young 
He's a young man fresh off of the American Pie series. Um, but I think they're both really good in this. And th- there is some stuff like that. Like the dude sweet thing, that was that was everywhere. Like that was like my middle school experience was that. Um, and people repeating uh, the the interchange at the outside of the Chinese food restaurant Ugh. with the drive through. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, you know, th- those quotes, those were the things that like I fucking every single day in seventh grade, someone said that it's, it's really wild to think about how much influence this movie had at that at that time because when i revisited it i was like i barely remember anything about this that's wild yeah i mean it really is such a perfect time capsule of a movie it absolutely could not be made today and like you said should not necessarily be made today but um yeah i i I think that bit is so perfect i think it's such a the movie just rocks i love it so much another part that really got me is uh near the end when they're the the big showdown at the arcade with the continuum transfunctioner and the two like Nordic aliens say something like, we're going to use this to banish you to Hoboken, New Jersey. I was like, that's funny. That is a funny joke that hit me as someone from New Jersey. I really appreciated that. What did you guys think about the end when the aliens are like, okay, now you can answer like, basically you can have answered any question that you would like about the universe. And they're like, there's like a little bit of buildup and you think that they might for one second ask something profound. And then they ask like, have you been to Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Look, I like, I was just watching something. A Uranus joke, always good. So many butt jokes in this movie. A lot of butt jokes, a lot of lots dick of jokes. touching boobs, lots of, yeah. It was very, again, it was like, schedule my therapy session because I gotta, it just like hit me. I'm like, this is why I am the wing I am. you know and just like so much shit to unpack that I just am like I I don't know but there was the part where I'm like it's fun and funny to look at and then it's always really sad just because I'm like god I was so young like just seeping in so much of this messaging personally very deeply like I think I was just like there's just so much about what it what it means to be a hot woman and like what like literally at the end when they get like the breast implants without there and they're like yay it's like it's wild and it's camp now but i think this is what was so harmful is like as a kid i couldn't differentiate you know like that was just to me like what was wanted and i also uh and it's fun that because i know uh devin you are you also have you said you had therapy in your your psychotherapist as well right Mm -hmm. because i was like 12 minutes in wrote down who the fuck wrote this (laughs) (laughs) and so i did a deep dive and i wanted to know particularly i was like kind of i was watching like i'm mad does this person have any remorse for like this film (laughs) (laughs) and they found out that our dear screenwriter um philip stark phil stark Uh, is now a screenwriter turned therapist who actually has a book out called Dude, Where's My Catharsis? Wow. Whoa. Yeah. He writes about mental health and personal growth as experienced through talk therapy. Yeah, that kind of, I was like, wait, what? And I I don't know. My thought, my immediate thought was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) is this but um it was it was a definite left i did not see that coming nor did i find any any evidence of phil stark being remorseful in the way i had hoped well maybe maybe we'll get him on here to uh, to answer for this at some point or to give us the therapy session we needed after watching that movie all right so Devin, this is the point in the episode where we hand out awards for this movie the first one is called a point with a view this goes to the character with the best politics in the movie. So you actually, you kind of already mentioned that you think Jesse and Chester have the best politics. Like, s- speak on that for a moment. I mean, you've been speaking on it, but is that still your vote? Yeah, my boys have the best politics. They're just little blank canvases. You know, again, they, <laughs> they've been they've been conditioned in the way that we all have um, to hold these like certain harmful views, but they are actively unlearning and unknowing um, again, like classic, like male hegemony, um, heteronormative, like cultural institutions. Um, so I give them major props for that. And I think they have the best politics in the movie. And ultimately they, 
they, you know, they created a lot of the problems um, that <laughs> led to the universe being in peril in the first place, which is like, you know, something we didn't really touch on, but it's like sort of the classic, like, you know, white male phenomenon anyway, right? Um, but they do save the universe at the end of the day. So um, they're creating the problems and ultimately um, these men for, for because of their bumbling stupidity and their open-mindedness are, are sort of able to help resolve. I'll, I'll agree with that. And, you know, the, like the more we've been talking about it, the more I'm realizing, because like my biggest problem with Jesse and Chester initially is that, like I said, they were just like purely sex motivated. And it seemed like a really kind of gross motivation to sort of perpetuate every single thing that they're doing. But now that we're talking about it, I'm like, they're not like they're not like outwardly misogynistic and they're not outwardly like hateful or anything. They're just like two horny, dumb little boys. And like. <laughs> Look, I've been there. I've been a horny, dumb little boy at times in my life, and you know, like, it just, just, it doesn't mean that you uh, are are trying to exact any kind of harm on anyone. So, I'll, I'll also give this to Jesse and Chester. Dude, I'm sold. I think I'm sold. Wow. <laughs> I think it goes to <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Incredible. <laughs> and that's the power. That's the power of podcasting. Honestly. Wow. Wow. All right, our next award is called Despicable You. This goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie. Well, clearly the evil, hot alien girls who are trying to destroy the world. Oh, sure, just because they're purely destructive. That's pretty antisocial, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty antisocial to not want anyone to exist anymore. <laughs> the world's been flipped on its head, so I have to recalibrate now. Honestly, I think I'm going to go with, uh, like, there's a lot of, like, slut-shaming that happens in this movie. Who says... Lots. Lots. I'm actually going to go with uh, the twins, Jesse and Chester's girlfriends, Wilma wow. and Wanda. Yeah, because they they do a lot of slut shaming in this film. Um, and that that jumped out. I mean, there's a lot like a lot of the offensive humor is sort of like in the the scenarios and the the way that the bits are laid out. But they're the they're the ones who like actually articulate some sort of kind of like really internalized misogyny so that's that's what i'm giving this to i'm on board with that i may also give it to the boys too because i'm still torn <laughs> they have the best and the worst they, politics yeah and as a result they win it all which is probably even more problematic but they're getting, getting two awards for me i don't know i'm still not sold that they're not i think they're dumb and then i'm also suspicious of they're just also all the problems like is it a is it all a front who knows that's kind of emblematic of this whole conversation that they contain, you know, they contain both simultaneously, multitudes. And I don't know that I, I, I think if we're saying that they're a product of their world, I don't know if I can give it to the twins because their misogyny to me was like such a product of their world. Like they were being so screwed over by these boys who were like by all the boys. And then like, you know. Sure. Also, Jennifer Garner was shocked to see Jennifer Garner. In this movie. Yeah. I think it was right. It was because I, I looked at the IMDb because I was also like, where is everyone in their career here? I'm so confused. But this is like right alias sort of like pre right before she pops off, pops mm. off. But she's had a few credits. Okay. Our, our next award is A Star is Scorned. This goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about. For me, that's Christy. You know, she's dating the jock dude, but she's, like, questioning throughout the movie, like, hey, this, like, shitty jock, like, he, like, you know, she's, like, questioning throughout the movie, their relationship, and then, like, he gets eaten, and she, like, doesn't, like, give a shit, which is an incredible scene, and I just think Christine's a comrade who we could have really spent <laughs> some more time with. Yeah, That's a really good one, because she's also, like, actively bucking against hetero male hegemony but being like because she's like she's like traditionally i would be with this jock but like i think this guy sucks and i'm actually more interested in like the the sinewy stoner dude exactly. so um i'm gonna go with the the zoltan crew <laughs> the entire uh zoltan cult I, i'd like to see a movie about the inner dynamics of that space cult you know how did how did they all come to live at where were they like his mom's like his mom's house or something who decided like, they he... were all going to wear black vans? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. yes, many questions. <laughs> how did he assume this power? Like, why? Like, why are they following this man? So, yeah, I, I would take the Zoltan uh, deep dive film. I love that they were right too, and that they won, and they got to go. True. To to party on another planet, bringing it back to like setting up a good a good part. Like this group did seem like they knew they were willing and knew how to have a good time. Like they didn't seem like too horrible a cult. So I I was with you. 
I could I could do the I could do the movie about the stoner dog. Like I could I could be there for a while. If we were like I was like, are we gonna go? I was surprised that we didn't go there more. Thought there was gonna be more like more into that storyline. They could have used that so. dog so much more. Also, what was that? You guys are movie people. What's up was that with that dog? Is that like is that CGI? Is that like what what is that? What's happening there? Definitely not CGI. I'm guessing it's 2000. They probably drugged an animal. <laughs> I yeah, it, it's very <laughs> I possible. Guess. I definitely had a friend in high school who was who would blow his weed smoke into his dog's ear and like straight into that. his brain. Yeah, I no, it's that. it's animal abuse. That's animal abuse for sure. And how many stupid kids saw this movie and they're like, dude. I'm doing it. My my friend apparently. <laughs> oh, um, God. I, I never actually saw this ad yet. Bummer. But, uh, dropping some late in the pod animal abuse content. All right, <laughs> um, no. Devin. Before we wrap up, we like to discuss with our guests how we as artists and people strive to practice our anti-capitalist values in our own lives with all of its complexities and contradictions. So, is there? Uh, something that you do in your own life, like a practice you engage in, uh, an organization you work, I mean, you run an organization, but what? how does that translate for you in your everyday life? Yeah, totally. Um, I think really, it's been really important to me to bring a lot of like play and humor and levity into my politics. And I try to do that very much with the space, which is, I, I think I sort of conveyed at the beginning. It's like, when you come here and you experience these um, community activists, um, you know, speakers from the LA Tenants Union, the Debt Collective, um, coming to speak and hopefully recruit people to work with them and to join their communities. That's awesome and that's happening, but that's happening in a context of play and that's happening in a context of levity and that's happening in a context, again, where we're like, because we're attaching so many like fun comics and musicians to these lineups where people are coming who aren't necessarily, who mostly are not engaged in these issues. Um, and they're coming and they're sort of like getting their vitamins, but they're coming because of the the atmosphere that we've created. And, you know, I think like any time that you get like preachy or pedantic, you lose people. You know, I grew up like I grew up very poor, like a like really working class community. Um, I grew up in a trailer with eight family members. Uh, I attended like a Title I school with a 50 percent dropout rate, like very, very like Bible Belt, like very, very working class community. And so for me, like that is where that instinct comes from, because if I like I actually grew up as like a little like socialist kid in this like very, very, very conservative um, working class community. And if I had like not had an instinct of like being playful and like speaking to people like not a brat, like I would not have like had friends or like made <laughs> like survived in this <laughs> community. So I think like. Um, yeah, that's a big part of my personal ethos is like, I respect and understand working class people because I like grew up in that community. I was, was one of those people. Um, and that like, it really translates to, I think the space that I have cultivated here. That's so beautiful. And I love always being reminded of the value of play and how radical play can actually be and sharing joy in spaces together. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Yeah. And thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, so, Devin, where can our audience find you and Little Secret? And uh, tell us about some of the the stuff you got coming up. Yeah, totally. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm cute and on, like cute and on, but cute. Um, what she goes like, <laughs> it goes over a lot of people's heads. So maybe it's not that funny as I think it is. But <laughs> no, it's a phenomenal handle. Don't let anyone ever tell you it's bad. That's it's it's a ge it's genius level handle. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I actually um, made the handle before I even found out about the podcast Chewing On. So I will say I'm not even ripping off Chewing On or the other variations of Chewing On that are out there and existing and are funny. Um, but yeah, that's where to find me. Um, the venue is also most accessible. I do most of my promotion on Instagram. So every event that we do, you'll see on the Instagram is little secret underscore LA. And yeah, I really wanted a chance to plug the tour. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, so taking um, Chris Smalls, of course, Amazon labor union president, um, organized the union in Staten Island. You know him, you love him. Uh, he's been on the show. Uh, he's been on Little Secret a couple times. So we've become friends over the last year. And then Steven Donziger, a uh, legendary climate activist, the lawyer who was in prison and then in house arrest uh, because of a sham court 
created by Chevron and retaliation for the work that he did to uh, advocate for Ecuadorian communities who are affected by Chevron's pollution. So bringing these two extraordinary activists together on the stage for their first national tour, we're going to be hitting six cities. We're doing New York, we're doing Atlanta, Chicago, Denver, LA, and Detroit. Each with special guests, each has the little secret formula. So special guests, but also incredible musicians, performers, hosts. So each one will be distinct, but we hope that you will join us on the road. Um, and you can find the tour tickets at uh, our website, littlesecret.org. That's amazing. Oh, I'm excited. When are you going to be in New York? We're going to be in New York um, July 19th. That's our show at Babies All Right. Amazing. Putting in the calendar. Um, we will be uh, there. Yeah. Please. I was going to tell you this off mic, but I'll tell you on mic. I'll be there. <laughs> Say it on mic, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to be there if you want to find us. Um, <laughs> but only in a nice way, please. <laughs> 100% well, Devin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciated you giving us your time. Thank you for the work that you are doing with Little Secret. Um, and thank you for reintroducing me to <laughs> this absolutely deranged film. I loved it. Thanks, you guys. This was so fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you've been enjoying this show, please consider becoming a supporter. You can find all of that info at mvcpod.com. For next week's movie, we'll be watching Stanley Kubrick's Cold War era satire, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. 